0: Well, in our country, we've had a lot of tragedy happen. Sometimes when you step back and you look at the big picture problem or the heart of the problem, you wonder, man, is our nation ever going to come back to God? And the question is, what is the cure for a blind and dying nation? And the cure is that our eyes are opened by Jesus. We need to have our eyes open to the truth to see things the way God wants us to see them. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, if you would, open it to the Gospel of Mark, second of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're doing a cure for a blind and dying nation, part two. As we looked at the healing of blind Bartimaeus last Sunday and the, call it the symbolic meaning behind the healing, pointing to a nation that was largely blind, a nation that needed an eye-opening experience, but a nation that scarcely saw with their eyes or heard with their ears. And Jesus quoting the book of Isaiah saying, if they would return with their heart, I would heal them. The ultimate healing that uh, Jesus came to bring was not a political healing. Uh, in fact, uh, there were many people who mistook his ride into Jerusalem just uh, in just that way. He had come to bring a spiritual healing, a healing for the heart. Whenever anything's happened in our nation you know that is an issue, a problem, whether it's a shooting or a terrorist attack or something of that nature, We've asked some questions and we've heard people comment on the solutions. And people talk about gun control and they talk about, you know, education. And they talk about, uh, you know, all these different reasons why we have the problems we have. And I'm not going to brush aside that some of those could be problems. But I am going to say that the church really, um, whenever it's been right, has always been preaching a spiritual cure at the heart. And, you know, Jesus said, if you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things would be added unto us. And we always seem to flip it around, and the Jewish nation flipped it around as well. They they saw Jesus as a political deliverer. They were hoping that he would come and conquer Rome, but that's not what he came to do. He came to conquer sin and bring life to us. And, And he was on this journey to Jerusalem He he had told the disciples, I'm going to die. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to crucify me. And and I think the disciples could not see it. And part of the reason that they could not see it is because they had presuppositions that had formed in their hearts that made it almost impossible for them to see the truth. I want to tell you that there's something that uh, is very human about that. We can tend to see things through the lens that we want to see them. We can tend to take world events or even our own spiritual experience and kind of shove it down this particular uh, pipe or direction, so we see it the way we want to see it instead of the way God wants us to see it. And so you say, "Well, Pastor Michael, what is the cure for something like that?" You know, well, you guys have been hearing about a biblical worldview. And in order for us to funnel things properly, we have to have a biblical worldview. We have to see things the way God sees them. We have to have his eyes and his heart. So let's pray just for that as we get into this message. Father, we thank you so much for the people that have gathered on this Sunday morning. And we do desire to see the cure uh, for our nation, a nation that we have been blessed to live in, a nation that we love. And we're going to draw some parallels between Israel and the U.S., but we're going to be careful to say that the U.S. is not Israel. But there are certainly parallels, Lord. And uh, we just want to pray for illumination, Lord. We want to pray for understanding. We pray that your voice would be heard. We pray that we would set aside um, any of the things that we've brought into this place that are not beneficial for us, Lord. Any weights, um, even sin that we've brought into this place, Lord. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for uh, things that we do that are not pleasing to you, Lord. Uh, Make us clean. You know, David prayed that he wanted to have clean hands and a pure heart, Lord. Those would be the people that ascend thy holy hill. And none of us have that, Lord, but you came to provide that through your death on the cross and your resurrection. So I pray you just bless this time. I pray you'd speak to us in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The Cure for a Blind and Dying Nation, Part 2. So Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem on what we would call Palm Sunday. So we're going to do Palm Sunday in October. Or what's known as his triumphal entry or what's known as his, by some scholars, as his coronation as king. He will be crowned during this week, but not in a way that we would imagine. He will wear a, a a crown of thorns, and he will die for the sins of the nation and, of course, for the sins of all people. Jesus had been telling his apostles in Mark 10.45, if you want to take a peek at that, as they continued to be selfish and self-centered, he said, even Mark 10.45, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. On our radio broadcast a couple days ago, I said that I was going to talk to us about principles about leaders so that we can make an informed choice about leadership. And you might be surprised that the Bible has a lot to say about leadership outside the church. In fact, God has a lot to say about three spheres of life, all of which he created. God created the family in Genesis chapter 2. He created government, as the Bible unfolds. And he created the church. All three spheres of life are by God. They are his idea. And when they're done right, they are God honoring. And God has a lot to say about leadership in all three spheres of life. In the family, he has something to say. And Joshua probably put it best when he said, I don't care who else worships what other gods, whatever you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what it means to be a godly leader of your household. Um, if you look at government, God goes on and on through the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, the Proverbs, and He talks about godly leadership. In Proverbs twenty-nine, He talks about when the righteous are ruling, the people rejoice, and when the ungodly are ruling, the people groan. That's Proverbs twenty-nine two. And God uh, laid out the demands of godly leadership. He told the king to read the law of God. He told the king to, uh, to lead righteously the people. Righteous kings were known for bringing the nation back to the Bible and knocking down or destroying the high places and the places for the false gods. And that was really how God defined godly leadership in government. There are many Godly people who were prophets and kings who had great influences on nations. Esther, Daniel, uh, and we could name many others. Nehemiah. And so God has a lot to say about that sphere of life as well. And of course, we know the passages that talk about uh, biblical leadership. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, the qualifications of an elder. God has spoken in all three areas. Now, as I looked at this message for this coming week, I was thinking, well, we should be tying parallels so that we can know how to choose a godly leader because there's much confusion uh, on the landscape. But it struck me that there's another application that we need to make. And it's not just about our government leaders. It's about us. Because every time I look at the Bible and I decide I want to point my finger at other people, and tell everybody else what they're doing wrong, I know I'm in trouble. Because I know God, when I come to the Bible, wants me to search my own heart. I know that he wants me to take a look at how I'm serving others, how I'm being a change agent in my culture, how I'm being salt and light in my sphere of influence. And we could sit here all day long and complain about our leaders, and we have a right, (laughs) I think, Based upon what I see on the landscape, there's much to be leveled against our so-called leaders. But I still think that God's going to ask us to look at ourselves. I think that oftentimes, and I'm not saying that th- this is always true, but I think it's been well said that leaders are a reflection of a culture. And I don't know how we got here, frankly. I wonder how we got here. But I know some of the reasons we got here. One, one of the reasons is passivity. Passivity. The church has been passive, and instead of being a loud voice in the culture, not an obnoxious voice, but a loud voice for righteousness and things that really matter, we've been largely silent. Let's face the facts. We've cloistered in buildings instead of being out there in the communities, and perhaps that's part of the problem. You know, Shane was talking about how often Christians can be even ashamed to name Jesus Christ at work or in a debate with a family member. How are we going to change the culture if we can't even speak on those levels? And you know what? I'm not preaching down at us now. I'm speaking to myself as well. For some reason, we can easily hold back what we say we believe, what we say is the foundation of our lives. For what? so that someone might like us or think that we're cool. And I told you last week that the country was not ashamed, despite its imperfect people at the founding and the problems that were there, the country was not ashamed to say that if this is going to work, if America is going to work, it's going to work because it's a people that are governed ultimately by the higher values of Scripture. Now we have a divided nation. You know, just go on a website and look at the commentary of things where there's, uh, you know, people who are spewing all kinds of hate against the God of the Bible. There's people who have all these different takes. Everybody seems to have a take in our nation now. And when a when a nation's uh, foundations are destroyed, we get in trouble. I want to take you to a few Psalms before we even go into Mark 11, and we may have to do this message in a couple parts as well. Turn to the book of Psalms, if you would. The Psalms are a wonderful medicine for the soul. I'm going to start us in Psalm 2, and then we'll move over to Psalm 11. So the first one is Psalm 2. This is a prophecy that actually is picked up in the New Testament, and it is about Jesus, and here's what it says. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together, Psalm 2, 2, against the Lord and against his anointed. Here's what they say, Psalm 2, 3, let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. If you wanna know what makes God laugh, it's when people start to say, we'll get rid of God. That makes God chuckle. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer. And our prayer is that it will get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. If you want to know what makes God laugh, it's when people start to say, we'll get rid of God. Because it's his world and his universe. So he who is in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. It says, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I've begotten thee. Ask of me, this is the Father speaking to the Son, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, and we might add, O presidents, Show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth, worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Turn to Psalm 11. Some of you may have seen my title, and you might be wondering, is Pastor Michael prognosticating about the U.S.? No, I'm not. What I'm really referring to in this message is that Israel would see its own demise in 40 years from the time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. 40 years rings a bell to many of us because that's what people say typically is a biblical generation, give or take. Some scholars believe he died in 30. Some people believe he died in 32 or 33 AD. Whatever the date may be, it was about 40 years until Israel fell to the ground and Jesus was pleading with the nation. He was telling the nation to turn back. And let me just tell you that this has connections to the Old Testament, where prophets would go to wicked kings and say, turn, because God is going to judge the nation. Turn, turn, turn. And when a king turned, even the case of wicked Ahab, God said, I'm not going to destroy that area in his generation because he repented. God even says of Ahab, the wicked king that was married to Jezebel, do you see how Ahab has responded? He's actually humbled himself. So I'm not going to destroy the area in his generation. God does respond to humility, even humility from a wicked king. This is the pattern that's happened throughout the Bible. How it applies in New Testament times, I leave it to you. But Israel basically was on the clock. They had 40 years or less until their whole nation would fall. Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem, wept over the city. He said, This is the city that kills prophets. This is the city that won't respond to God. And he said, If you had only recognized the time of your visitation, if your eyes had only been open to the truth, but now it's past. Jesus was heading to the cross. The people were lauding him, calling him the one who is blessed, who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet Jesus saw something much deeper than the people would see. Now in Psalm 11, um, I'll take you back. Uh, Let's go to Psalm 10, verse 16. It says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Psalm 10, 16. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Psalm 10:17, "Thou wilt strengthen their heart, thou wilt incline thine ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, that man who is on the earth may cause terror no more. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? In the Lord, I take refuge," can I paraphrase? How can I say to myself, I'm going to run away? How could I say to myself, I'm going to run away when things get difficult? I'm going to go hide up on some mountain. I'm going to flee like a little bird. No, this is not a time to flee. This is the time to stand. For behold, the wicked bend a bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels like the upright are getting shot at all the time, while the culture calls what is evil good and what is good evil. If the foundations are destroyed, verse 3, Psalm 11, what can the righteous do? You know, you may want to mark that, because <laughs> that's often how it feels. But keep reading. The Lord is in his holy temple, he hasn't moved. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. In other words, he sees what's going on, and he's testing people even now. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. All the violence that's happening in our culture, God hates it. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to Mark 11 before I quickly run out of time. (laughs) What's the cure? Well, the cure for a blind and dying nation is to look upon Jesus Christ maybe with some fresh eyes and understand who he is and what he desires from a people. To be governed by biblical principles. It's not wrong for a nation to anchor themselves to biblical principles. That's what God wanted of Israel. That's what our founders wanted of the U.S., at least the bulk of them. And so Jesus is riding in to show us the way. He's riding in to purchase our freedom. And I think we all know, but I'll remind us that freedom isn't free. It's very costly. I was in Israel in 2006, and I was pleasantly surprised to see at our Israel meeting, we're talking about going in March of 2018, if you're interested. We had 57 people express interest in going to Israel. I think it's, the number is climbing, and that's awesome. And when you're in Israel, um, you're seeing all these historic sites, and one of the things you get to do is you get to walk down the road from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, and it's where Jesus made that triumphal entry. And our guide was a uh, second generation, what we call a Zionist. He's not a believer in Jesus, but he's very much a Zionist, very much uh, wanting to see Israel great, served in the military as a general. And he said his father was constantly trying to explain to him what it was like when Israel was not in the land. His dad was part of the early forces that brought freedom uh, and recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. He said, so they would often, as a family, sit at the breakfast table and his dad would try to impress upon him how magnificent it was that Israel was in the land. And he said, as often as he tried to understand his father's passion. He couldn't really understand it because he didn't personally experience the fight and then finally seeing the nation become a people uh, in 48 and then in 67, recapturing Jerusalem. And see, what I think the problem is in any generation is that the more we move away from what it cost us to get our freedom, the more we forget what we really have. And it seems like cultures, they, they kind of operate this way. They go from revolution where they fight and they scratch for freedom and they finally get it and they, and they have to shed blood and they have to uh, do founding principles and they have to work hard and, and people die for future generations to have freedom. And then as generations go on and on, they tend to forget. And one of the things that, that happens is a people forgets their identity. And once you forget your identity as a Christian, as an American... You get yourself in trouble because then you don't know what it is that you believe anymore. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a worldview. If your kids don't know how they should view the world, if they don't know the preciousness of what it means to live in America, if they don't know what it means to be a Christian, if they don't know the value of their, their identity and what it costs people on the battlefield to fight for freedom, whether every war or every battle was right or wrong, I'll leave that to you. But ultimately, people shed their blood for us to be here today. And in earlier generations, people were burned at the stake to make sure we had a Bible in our hands. We rarely hear those stories anymore. We don't talk about the fact that the common man couldn't even have a copy of the scriptures in generations gone by. People died that we could even have a Bible. And see, this is... This is part of what we need to get back to, I think, as parents and grandparents, is to make sure that our our future generations understand who we are. And so here we go, Mark 11, all of that being introduction. (laughs) So we'll try to tackle this as quickly as we can, because much of this is familiar. And as they approach Jerusalem, Mark 11, 1, at Bethpage, now Jesus is moving with a great uh, company of people. And uh, remember, he had just healed blind Bartimaeus outside of Jericho, moving rapidly towards Jerusalem. He's approaching Jerusalem, Mark 11, verse 1. Two uh, healings are in, in the immediate backdrop that are worth mentioning. One is that Jesus has healed blind Bartimaeus, and we just looked at that. The other healing is mentioned in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and I think we all know what it was. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And uh, even in some of the weird Jewish beliefs that the spirit hovered around for three days isn't biblical, but even that belief would, would have been put to rest by him being in the tomb for four days. And Jesus called into the tomb with a man who had been there some four days. And even one of the sisters expressing concern in the King James best stated, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Are you really gonna do this? And Jesus, in those famous words, said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead some four days, came forth in his grave clothes, and he was alive. And I think, as I've told you, that the miracles of Jesus are also parables. They have a deeper message. Uh, it, It might kind of fit with Pastor Mike Rizzi getting stuck in the elevator this morning. There may be a symbolic meaning to that. I don't know. You guys may want to talk to him about that. <laughs> but anyway, but Lazarus was in the tomb, and seemingly, for all intents and purposes, it's over. It's done. People don't rise from the dead unless Jesus is around. And maybe the, the message between, behind Lazarus' resurrection or raising And healing of blind Bartimaeus is that I can open your eyes, I can breathe life into this nation again if you will only hear my voice. If you will only believe. If you will only open your ears. And what I'm saying to us this morning is that God hasn't changed. And that message does ring through the corridors of time Will you hear what the Spirit says to the church. He approached Jerusalem, the holy city, and at Bethpage in Bethany. Uh, Bethany means the house of dates. It can mean the house of depression or misery. And uh, this is near the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples. Just Bible students, Bethpage is a small town just east of Jerusalem. Its name literally means house of unripe figs. Just note that, because that's going to take a very significant a uh, connection to a fig tree that Jesus is going to speak to in this account a fig tree that doesn't produce and Jesus is going to actually curse the fig tree so beth page the house of unripe figs and he said to them go into the village opposite you immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied there on which no one has yet no one yet has ever sat untie it and bring it here this colt was Especially set aside for the work of Jesus Christ, and it might be someone saying to you, "The Lord has need of your Mustang right now, so will you release it to me?" I don't know what you might do in that situation. I want to tell you about suit up, putting on the full armor of God—a revealing look at God's armor. What this book is really about—it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer to put on the full armor of God. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. I wanna get this book in your hands because I believe it's gonna help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and to experience more victory in your Christian life. I would urge you to get the book today on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.